You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. One of your regular hosts, Greg Bosco, and with me as always is Mr. Derek Mayer. Say hello, buddy. Hey, man. How you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, you know, I, I was dealing with a little bit of a migraine this evening, so I apologize if I'm a little tired sounding, but I am good to go. Well, any kind of migraine is uh, not fun, so you're good. <laughs> yeah, appreciate you toughing it out. And uh, just for everybody, a little quick refresher. We're, uh, we're as part of the Heroes Podcast Network, we're one of those weekly, bi-weekly Star Trek shows. Uh, Derek and I, our lives have been kind of hectic a little this past couple, past few months. We're getting a little back on track. Uh, we've spent a few weeks kind of getting ready for the new Picard show. Uh, and so we're going to continue that trend. But before we do, there's obviously a lot of Star Trek news, not necessarily of the good kind from the past few days. And uh, Derek, why don't you just fill in our listeners? Sure. So, I mean, we probably won't spend a lot of time on this. I'm sure most of our listeners know, but this past week's been kind of rough on the Star Trek community. Uh, four notable uh, Star Trek contributors uh, have passed away. Um, most recently, it was actually uh, Michael Lamper, who um, not only has been in Star Trek, but is actually Marina Sirtis's husband, uh, died at 61, which is, of course, very sad. Um, in addition to that, we um, had Robert Walker, who played Charlie and Charlie X. He passed away at 79. DC Fontana, who is one of the original and most important Star Trek show writers, uh, Dorothy, she passed away at 80. Um, you know, she was notable for some some pretty big stuff in the original series and even wrote um, and contributed later on in in uh, in 90s trek and, and things like that so that was a, a big loss as well and then one that uh hit home to uh, a lot of people of course is is odo uh renee aubergeois he passed away at 79 uh he uh, apparently had cancer which i was completely unaware of and so that was shocking uh to me so four four big hits well and it's you know even dc fontana for example I mean, think about it. She was a female science fiction writer on a major network show in the 60s, which also wasn't very common. So she was, you know, an early pioneer of, you know, getting getting more of that into the industry, which is always a good thing to have that kind of additional diversity and viewpoints. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Renee Aubergeonois was such a huge fan favorite. Everybody, Odo was like, he was essentially almost like data because everybody knew who Data was, even if you weren't a Trek fan, and everybody knew who Odo was. And, you know, he was huge on the convention circuit. He was huge interacting with fans. And, you know, all those photos of him on Twitter, you know, holding up a little little drawing of a bucket as he's taking a photo with a fan. I mean, it's it's a it's a huge loss. And it's it's you know, it's not it's not the four like like you said, four significant star trek creators of some kind in seven days (laughs) yeah yeah it's definitely rough and uh you know ds9 of course was hit a little bit harder you know with um this year you know and so um it's yeah it's it's not it's not good news but it's important to recognize these people and let them know that we're wishing our best to their family and friends and and things of that nature and it just kind of you know puts a bit of a reminder out there of you know, who these people are, what they did to contribute to the franchise and, and things like that. So if you're unfamiliar with, with their work or anything, you know, do, do a little Google search. There's a lot out there and you might learn something new about, about the franchise. So, yeah, I mean, DC Fontana, you helped usher in 50 years of Star Trek history. So all, <laughs> yes. all four of you will be missed. Absolutely. Um, but uh, but yeah, I guess on to on to other things. Um, we like Greg, you said we've been doing this prepping for a Picard series, and uh, this week we move on to uh, part one of our two part season six coverage, uh, mainly because I I picked a lot in my top twenty quintessential Picard episodes 
from this season. So today we're covering Time's Arrow parts one and two. And yes, I know part one is season five, uh, but it's the finale. And then uh, we're also covering parts one and two of Chain of Command, which is uh, a very intense episode as well. So um, the part two of this, which will actually be in two weeks, next week is a short treks discussion. But the week after that, we'll be back and we'll be covering uh, uh, Tapestry, Starship Mine, Lessons, and The Chase. Those are the other episodes that we're covering here for season six. So, Greg, where would you like to start with Time's Arrow? Uh, probably Time's Arrow is arguably probably one of the least considered of the two of the major two parters, and I I don't know exactly why. Mm-hmm. I, I you know I know it's got a little bit of the time travel mix and all this jazz, but it's a it's a it's basically almost it's, to me it reminds me a lot of the original of Star Trek the original series just with the filming and the interaction and they're, they're kind of bit a little bit more of the goofiness mm-hmm. just with the whole thing. Uh, obviously, you know, Mark Twain, of course, whenever you have a character like that in a show of any kind, <laughs> you know, it's gotta be a little, a little different, but yeah, it's still, yeah. it's an easy episode to enjoy. I think. Oh, I'm completely with you. I've always thought this episode was underrated. Um, of course, I hadn't really looked, but it does have an 8.3 on IMDb. So I guess it's not considered that bad by by people. But I always thought it flew under the radar a little bit. Um, I'm a sucker for time travel stuff. Anything that's time travel or alternate realities, parallel universes, I'm always a sucker for for those things. So I thought maybe it was just me. Well, no, and especially because it opens up kind of clever with you know, they're in, you know, the engineering firm that finds data's head and it's just kind of like a soft, it's almost like a cold opening. Cause there's not a lot of other stuff happening. And then all of a sudden, Oh, there's data's head. It is pretty funny. Um, and like kind of just the way that goes down, I've always like, it's probably the, the weakest part of the episode is probably that, uh, that cavern. Um, because it doesn't really seem like that stuff, especially data's head would have gone unnoticed for 500 years. Uh, probably not. I, you're, you know, I think you're, you're absolutely correct. <laughs> especially, especially when you think, when you go to Star Trek Nemesis and they're able to detect positronic signals from like five sectors away. Right. Uh, you, yeah. <laughs> you you think, think somebody would have like, found it. Yeah. Like somebody in the, the 2190s with the early scanning equipment is like, huh, this is unusual. Oh my look, God, look, a robot head. I think they could have avoided that that criticism, for, uh, at least from me, if they had just had some kind of cave-in occur towards the end of the episode, you know? Uh, but there's no cave-in. It's just the cave looks exactly the same 500 years apart, and Data's head's just chilling. <laughs> it's, it almost kind of looks like the bottom of a wishing well, like the wishing well in Goonies, just without <laughs> the water. It's just, yeah, it just looks like a little, a little gentle rocks, and that's about it. And there, right. that, yeah. there's Data's head. It kind of reminded me of um, this. This rewatch, of course, reminded me of the Futurama episode uh, Roswell that ends well. I don't know if you're familiar. <laughs> yeah. <with laughs> yep. that. Uh, for listeners out there who don't know, it's it's a it's a time travel episode where the Planet Express crew go back in time and basically become the Roswell aliens. Well, Bender the robot loses his head in the desert and at least in futurama the head gets buried <laughs> so you know. and he's basically his head's essentially alive <laughs> for yeah. for you know a thousand like 1600 years until they find him <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway i i digress so uh of course the, so these episodes are quintessential picard episodes that i put together and i guess we should maybe start with why i put Times Arrow on this list. Um, of course, this is primarily a data episode, right? That's really what the focus of this is. However, Picard has something very important occur through this, and that is his meeting with Guinan, right? Where he speaks with Guinan and she asks him if he remembers the first time they met. He says, of course. She says, I wouldn't be so sure because of time travel they met each other at different times which is a weird concept and so this episode shows how 
Guinan meets Picard for the first time. And it kind of flips their relationship a little bit because he's the one who already knows her versus the other way around. And that's why it's on my list. It's on my list because it shows how much trust Picard has in Guinan. You know, we talked about yesterday's Enterprise. This is another example of that. She tells him that he has to go on this away mission. It's not a normal thing, but he has to go. And without any evidence, without even really any questioning, he just goes, okay. And that's how they meet. Yeah, but it, you just nailed it, though, is throughout most of Next Generation with Guinan on the show, Whoopi Goldberg, there's always been that connection with Picard. And episodes like this, it's those subtle the subtle suggestions and subtle subtle comments from each other that really hit home that the relationship is not just a typical captain bartender. It's that level of trust. You know, you have to do this and she can't really explain why, but he trusts her. And that's another example of Picard's overall character is in his nature, unless you give him reason to mistrust you, he's going to trust his people around him, especially those that he's exceptionally close to. And, you know, we get another example of that line of their, their relationship goes far beyond friendship. And, you know, I think for, for a lot of people, they jump to, Oh, they must've had a romantic relationship, but I'm not sure that's what that means. What do you think? What do you think that that line means about them? Yeah. I never really got a romantic kind of vibe. And I think it was just, Kind of like what Guinan said in, uh, oh goodness, I can't think of the episode when she's talking about, well, best of both worlds. You know, our relationship is beyond friendship and it's beyond family. I think it's that level of intimacy that only like a close, trusted confidant. There's people that trust a close confidant sometimes more than maybe their own spouse. And it's not because they don't mistrust or distrust their spouse. It's because they've had unique experiences with that other person that just transcend what normal life is. Yeah, I'm completely with you. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think that it it shows the, both of their sophistication that they have this platonic relationship that is in, it's inexplicable, right? They they can't provide detail on truly what it means from a definition standpoint, but it is important enough and. Uh, deep enough in who they are in their beings that it, it goes beyond time and beyond realities like in best of uh, in, uh, yesterday's enterprise. And that's why I thought this episode was important because it shows his trust in her and it shows how they meet and the circumstances of it. And the fact that she now then has to keep this secret when they finally meet in 500 years, give or take, um, she can't tell him that she already knows him. She can't tell him how they met. She has to keep that a secret until this time, until Picard's ready to go back to meet her. Yeah, which is just, like you said, it's a bizarre little circle of how they met and in her timeline, her meeting him, you know, in the 1890s or yeah, 1890s and such. It's, it, it's, it's hard to wrap your brain around almost. Mm-hmm. But the other part of the episode I like is even when we start getting into the fun time travel stuff, you know, with, you know, Riker pretending to be a police officer and all this jazz and <laughs> Jordy doing his thing. It's just another and I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the cast of the main cast of the main crew. But it's always good to have episodes that highlight Picard's respect and faith in his in his crew around him. Because Picard's, you know, always been concerned with, you know, what do they say in Voyager and all that polluting the timeline? <laughs> Picard's always every time there's a time travel situation Picard's always been extremely concerned about that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this is another situation where they know something doesn't go right because the holy crap we found Data's head in the 24th century so <laughs> how are we going to get ourselves out of this and it's like I said not every episode of Star Trek and that's for our listeners that's where some of you have heard my big complaints on Discovery is on Discovery, you know, everything's got to be like a crisis, right? Everything is ramped up to 9 or 10, and Time Zero is not. On the intensity scale, Time Zero is probably, like, what, a 3 or a 4, maybe? And They do keep it pretty low-key. Yeah, and that, that's a good thing, though. It works. It works when 
you have a fun story, you have fun characters that you care about. Not everything needs to be, you know, season two discovery finale. Like, where did they get these 500 shuttlecrafts? It doesn't always have to be that. It can be low key. You could do a time. I mean, I mean, I'd be kind of curious to see if they try to time zero today. I don't think, I don't know if it would go well, but you know, it's, it was a fun episode. I love, everybody loves Picard and loved his interactions with Riker and Jordy and Data and Guinan. And it's just a great episode. It is a lot of fun. And um, I don't want to, you know, ignore Picard's feelings about Data and his concerns about losing Data and Data's death and wanting to avoid this happening. And the fact that Picard has to make command decisions, knowing those decisions could lead to Data's death, um, you know, also shows his the way he cares about his crew, but also his dedication to the larger universe. Right. You know, you talk about how Picard is concerned about damaging the timeline and he knows that that not damaging the timeline is more important than one person's life. Right. Yeah. And so that that's something that that goes through this as well. Um, But there are some really fun moments in this episode that I don't want to like gloss over. One thing that I want to point out. So I watched this with Ray, uh, you know, who guests on the show quite often and uh, she had never seen it before. And she noticed something that I had never really been aware of before. So Data's buddy at the hotel and everything who helps him get his equipment and all that kind of stuff. Um, Jack London was a real person. (laughs) And um, a lot the the adventures that Mark Twain basically convinces him to go on reflect the actual writings and uh, publications the real jack london ended up completing no i never really knew that neither did i and so that's that's fun for for a couple of reasons first off it's always fun when star trek slips in historical figures i always like that but it's also fun that me a guy who's seen this episode probably 20 times never knew that Jack London was a real person. And so I never got the significance of some of those conversations in the episode. And here Ray comes in, never seeing it before, but her background is stronger in this area. And she, uh, she's watching and she goes, ha, that's really funny. I was just, what, what was, and she explains, and I was like, Oh, you learned something new, you know, after watching this episode for, tw- you know, almost 30 years. So yeah. Uh, and you just educated me. So Ray has made us both smarter. <laughs> Which is, I'm not surprised by that. I'm just, you know, I'm just acknowledging that it happened. <laughs> right, right. And so that that's just a fun one. Um, you know, there's a couple other fun little notes in here. Um, Mark Al- uh, Alamio is in it. He plays the one of the poker sharks. And of course, you'll recognize him as Gold Dukat from DS9, which was fun. I had forgotten that he was in this. He's in a few Star Trek uh, Next Generation episodes before he starts donning the Cardassian makeup. I love it because I love the actor. Yeah. He's a, he's an interesting guy and it's, it's, it's fun seeing him in there. Um, so what, what were your opinions on Mark Twain or Samuel Clemens, whatever they wanted to call him? Did you like his portrayal and inclusion in the episode? Yeah, I did. I thought it was fun, especially because historically we know how active he was in San Francisco. Uh, there have actually been other books I've read like historic, like alternate history books that have Samuel Clemens type slash Mark Twain in there uh, just as a reference. And it's fun if you're going to do it in San Francisco, because it's a good, it's a good thing to insert, especially when, you know, they're, they're ending the episode and they're all curious, you know, kind of curious about the future stories of, uh, of Samuel Clemens. And, you know, even when he's on the ship and he's seeing the aliens and, you know, he thinks they're, they're like servants (laughs) <laughs> so it's which from for an 1890s person is not out of this world oh yeah it, it, i enjoyed having him on there no i'm with you I, th- I think he's a lot of fun it may not be the most historically accurate representation of him on a personal level but i think it plays out well in this episode i think it's it's a fun little thorn in everybody's side the idea of you know a, someone from the past seeing all this amazing stuff um, and being critical of what he sees. 
but yeah, uh, and and even Mark Alamo, you know, it's he's also got a little. He's in one of my. He's in Total Recall, the the original Total Recall, for like two minutes, and I loved it because he did. He kept doing these bit parts in TV shows and movies, essentially up until <laughs> he becomes Gold Dukat. Right then, then he got very busy. Uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, there's some great moments in this. Like you were mentioning earlier about Riker, you know, pretending to be the the police officer, and they're in the hospital ward and everything. And um, I like how their their grand escape on the stagecoach with Data later. It's like there's at least a dozen of them, and you know they, <laughs> yeah. they set off an explosion in the hospital. <laughs> it's again, it's a fun episode, especially compared to the next episode we're going to talk about. This is a very lighthearted, easy to enjoy Star Trek show, whereas episode, excuse me, whereas Chain of Command is, it's a great episode. It's fantastic Star Trek, but it's also pretty hard to watch sometimes. Yes, I agree. Um, so actually with, with that in mind then, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about in Time's Arrow? Anything that you feel we missed before we move on? I mean, uh, like you and I always joke about, we could probably talk for hours on each individual episode. But the main thing I want to end on is if we have any listeners that, you know, have never seen Time Zero, you have to watch it. It's it's great Star Trek. It's old school Trek in the next generation. It's a lot of fun. It's it's a serial adventure episode, and I like that. Yeah, I'm completely with you. And I think it, it in a, a lot of ways, really channels the original series quite a bit. Um, all those times that Kirk, Spock, and Bones are marooned on some planet that's kind of like an older Earth, you know, like, you know, it's a gangster planet or it's a Western planet or whatever. This is kind of like that. And um, they're having to use yeah, – it's very much like City on the Edge of Forever where Spock has to build this equipment using modern – or, well, that times technology. And here's Data trying to build this sensor out of, you know, late 1800s technology and so it felt very tos to me yeah i agree i love it go watch it yes all right well so we're gonna take a short break and then when we come back we will be talking about chain of command and now we're back after our short break uh derek and i were just getting completing on uh, discussing time zero as we're continuing our prepping for the picard show that's coming up quickly in january already the next episode though if if Time Zero is a three or four on the intensity scale, Chain of Command is probably somewhere between an eight or a nine. And it is quintessential Star Trek spy slash action slash thriller that Picard is heavily, heavily the main character involved and is two, it's a two-parter. Some of my best Star Trek Next Generation episodes are Chain of Command Part 1 and 2. Yeah, uh, these these are clearly very intense episodes. And it's hard to know early on exactly where things are going to go. But for me, Chain of Command kicks off who the Cardassians truly are. And... I think dovetails perfectly into DS9 and how DS9 uses the Cardassians as a primary villain. Um, yeah, this this is the episode that highlights the Cardassians. Because remember, we, you and I have actually talked about this before. On Next Generation, they always talk about the weird history between the, the Federation and the Cardassians. And we hear a little bit about it. But then this episode, the Phoenix episode, you really start realizing, like, holy cow, these... Uh, they were meant to be pretty good antagonists. Didn't work out in Next Generation, but it sure as heck did in Deep Space Nine. Yes, yeah. Um, I I think I think one of the important things in this episode, outside of Picard himself, is a lot of the the other alien species in 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 Star Trek can get kind of a one dimensional definition. Um, you know, the the Ferengi are all about profit, and the Klingons are all about war and battles and um the romulans are just lying sneaky people but this shows the cardassians as an incredibly intelligent cunning and tricky society that is manipulative but patient and willing to risk everything on the chance that they come out on top and i think that 
they got a really strong start right here. Yeah, I um, think you're absolutely right. And and it was a great episode to really highlight them. And they, I think every single one of the Cardassian actors in this show, this episode nailed it. Yeah, well, so f- f- first things, our, our main Cardassian, at least from my perspective, is Gol Madred, who is played by David Warner, who has been in a ton of stuff, of course. But for me, for my generation, I uh, recognize him most as the scientist from uh, The Secret of the Ooze, the second Ninja Turtles movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness <laughs> um, <laughs> oh uh, here we go it's a nice throwback <laughs> he's also in the third Beastmaster film for those of you that ever get to the third one of those um but but okay uh, if you can if you can get past the second Beastmaster, <laughs> then you deserve an award oh man i've seen the whole trilogy uh we could talk about that sometime but uh anyway <laughs> Uh, yeah, so David Warner plays Gull Madred, and he is, um, I think, one of the best written Cardassians that they that they have, and they've got some great ones uh, throughout the 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 rest of the shows, DS Nine Voyager included. Um, but he, of course, is Picard's torturer, right? He's in, he's in, tra- in charge of all of that, and so for those who know this episode. Uh, you know, you understand why it's on this list. If you don't know Chain of Command, um, the short of it is there is a covert mission led by Picard, Crusher, and Worf to find evidence of the Cardassians building a eugenic weapon. And if it's there, they destroy it. The whole thing is a trap. It's a setup specifically to get Picard. They do get Picard. And Picard is essentially tortured for information. Um, the key point here is that once it's determined that Picard does not actually have the information the Cardassians are looking for, Gol Madred continues the torture simply to try to break Picard as a person. It's no longer about the information or the mission. It's a personal goal, a personal vendetta is not the right word because it's not like a revenge thing. It's a power play. Yeah, and even in between torture sessions, because there's a lot of physical torture, there's a lot of mental torture, there's even, Picard even kind of calls him out. He's like, you know, torture's never been a reliable means of extracting information, and modern humans can think what you will about the histor- the historical sin- insinuation of torture, but it's been proven, you know, if, historically you can torture people, and they'll just, they'll tell you anything to get the pain to stop. It doesn't mean it's going to be real, and... Picard flat out says that in the middle of torture. And like you said, it's all, it's a power play and Picard starts to figure that out, even in the midst of being horribly treated. And, you know, one of the first things they do to him is, you know, hang him up by his wrists and strip him naked, which is immediately a torture move that, you know, when I hate to bring in a real historical event, but when, you know, when it, events like that happen in real, in modern warfare, it horrifies the population. It horrifies the public of the nations that are doing it. And it's even that act alone is, is terrible to consider. Yeah. Um, so the, the torture sequences in this are pretty, pretty intense. A lot of it is psychological. There, there is physical torture here too. Um, you know, but there's also a lot of, of psychological torture and it's really, this episode is successful in my opinion because of the performances of David Warner and Patrick Stewart. Um, the rest of the episode, you know, there's the, the, the B plot, or I don't know which is the B plot. Okay. But for me, the B plot is what's happening on the enterprise. And that is captain Jellico, Who's taken over for Picard and his little pissing contest with the Cardassians and Riker. <laughs> that's the, that's the B plot. Little mind. pissing contest. <laughs> <laughs> By the um, way, since, since you mentioned Captain Jellico, I love the actor's great. And again, he's also was in Total Recall. He was the bad guy in Total Recall. Yeah, um, Ronnie Cox. But, but but the other part I love is I love how modern all the modern Star Trek meme pages are like creating that fictional Star Trek Jellico show. <laughs> and it's, it is pretty funny. It's just so bizarre. But sorry, but yeah, it is. I guess that is the B plot because it's. It's kind of tied in, but it gets a little distracting sometimes. But 
it's still well done. It is. And I think Jellico gets kind of a he gets kind of the, the bad end of the stick here from a fan perspective because you know it's 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 kind of like Pulaski, right? This person comes in to our ship, right, and starts talking to our crew, and she doesn't like one of our favorite people. Or in this case, he doesn't like one of our favorite people. You know, it's kind of similar to that. You know, he comes on here, he takes over command of the ship, and he immediately doesn't really like Riker. He doesn't listen to him and he's short and he doesn't lean on the characters that we know are trustworthy, hardworking people, you know? So immediately we're put kind of at odds with him when, if you can just, if you can take a step back for a minute and think about it in universe, this guy had experience, one of the few who did, and he was brought in to essentially stop a war from starting and at the same time, try not to let this covert mission fail with its people dying. Yeah. And that's it. it, Everything is tied in together so well, actually between what's going on with Picard trying to, you know, look for this weapon because the weapon could radically alter the balance of power and such. And what Jellicoe's going through on the ship. And you're right. Jellicoe does kind of get the short end of the stick because we as the viewers know that Jellico knows there's a whole bunch of stuff going on behind the scenes, but he can't tell them all that. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it's intense and it's hard then for the viewer to like him. Um, and, you know, maybe we don't have to like him, but I think it is important that we respect the hard position that he was in. And while maybe I don't agree with his tactics, uh, I understand what he was trying to accomplish and he was trying to do the right thing, even if I don't agree with his methods. Uh, absolutely. And it's almost, it's, it's kind of hard to describe. It's essentially the, he's the kind of captain that you need, that you want on the front line during these tense situations. Cause he doesn't let the Cardassians back him into a corner. You know, when Riker wants to rescue Picard and Jellico is flat out, he's like, no, I mean, we can't, we can't send in a rescue team to save what is essentially a Federation spy. And, right. you know, there's so much, everybody, everyone that listens to our podcast knows I'm the, I'm the big history nut. You know, that's how in the past, you know, in real life, trying to rescue spies is how a cold war becomes an actual war. Mm-hmm. And I like, I like that Star Trek included that. Cause it's right. You know, after the fall of the Soviet union and the world's kind of normalizing, but, there's a lot of tension out there and they did, they showed it well with the Cardassians and Madrid, you know, is like, like Picard kind of calls Madrid out and I love it because he thinks Madrid's weak, you know, you're weak and you're still, you'll always be that little boy scared of your father or whatever. And Picard never loses his fighting spirit. No. Um, but to your point about kind of the, the spy business, Gol Lamech, who's the one who has to kind of negotiate with Jellico, basically says it, in not so many words that, well, if the Federation doesn't know what Picard and his group were doing, then they just must be terrorists. So we'll have to treat them as such. And then, you know, that's what, you know, Riker noting that they don't get any protection then under the, the agreement because it's not, it's not war. Right. And so the Cardassians are trying to play the pieces on the board here and basically say, look, if you want your people to not die, you have to admit that this was an act of war. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is exactly. And, you know, I even, I've made that discussion with a few of my other friends and it's like, you would think the Cardassians torturing Picard would be an act of war. But at the same time, it's like you just said, the Federation can't admit that they have him because mm-hmm. then, then they admit that, yes, we sent a spy in to try to destroy some of your weapons in your own territory. I mean, it really shows uh, that the the Cardassians really thought this through. And maybe, you know, at the end of the day, it didn't work, right? Picard didn't have the information they thought he would, and they weren't able to do what they wanted to do. But it played out as good as it possibly could have. They got Picard. They got the Federation to not play the war card you know, or not play the terrorist card and just put them in this state of not knowing what to do, keeping the Cardassians in the power position. 
you know, the entire yeah. time. The Cardassians are ready for this invasion fleet, essentially. And it's almost just sheer dumb luck that they fail. Yeah, it, it is essentially sheer dumb luck. And it's the whole episode is almost essentially essentially sheer dumb luck with, you know, the Cardassians even laying bait and the Federation biting it because we've seen multiple episodes where the Romulans or somebody are just poking the Federation to get them to do something the Federation never does. Mm-hmm. But this time they actually truly do take the bait and they send the captain of the flagship in and it does not go well. Yeah, I mean, so while I think the writing and the performances in this episode are truly fantastic, some of the structure around the episode is a little weak, right? There's only three people with this type of theta band radiation experience, and two of them are retired. So the only one left is the captain of the flagship is a little silly to me, um, simply because... Picard's experience was still when he was a captain of the Stargazer. How is there nobody left who performed the experiments and the missions under his command? How come none of them are around? Well, and that's, you know, I know it's it's kind of cliche lately for people to hate on modern superhero films. But the reason I'm going to make a reference here is back in the day when we we're growing up watching this, we loved seeing Picard in an action scene like this. Not necessarily the torture, but at the same time, the older we get, we're like, you know, this is really more of a mission for like the Winter Soldier or Captain America type versus uh, <laughs> versus the captain of the flagship or something. Like, I get why Worf's there. I kind of understand that. You send the one of the, the only Klingon in Starfleet, one of the strongest warriors in Starfleet on the mission. Okay. But the captain and the chief medical officer from the flagship, that's what you're right. That's when it's a good Star Trek story, but the story itself doesn't necessarily hold doesn't necessarily hold up to any kind of major scrutiny. I think part of the issue, the real world issue here is that section 31 wasn't really a thing yet. And I think if this episode had come down the road a few years, you'd have section 31 complete these missions. Oh yeah, absolutely. But they didn't have that. And so it's our hero and, and things of that nature. And so I get it. I understand it, but it is a little flimsy. You know, and there's there's a couple other moments in that, like, you know, so Riker gets relieved of duty, but somehow he's the greatest pilot on the ship. And, <laughs> yep, you know, I just I felt like that's a little like it's, it's it's season six here, guys. It's like midway through season six, you know, and he's like the best pilot that you have. Why wouldn't that be data? <laughs> well, you telling me that in season one, they didn't find some backroom ensign somewhere that, you know, was just a like, what, why is the chief, why is the first officer still the best pilot after everything the Enterprise has been through? You telling me there's not one else on there? I'm totally with you. But I mean, and even, even if Riker's such a good pilot, I don't understand how Riker could be as good as Data, who has quicker reflexes, better calculations, you know, it just, and he's right there. You know, Data's there. He he wasn't gone. Like at least you could argue, you know, that you know, oh well, he, Data was was on the mission with Picard, so he wasn't there, and Riker was next. But that's not true. You know, Data was right there, and so it's just it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a too convenient way to get Riker and Jellicoe to have to work together. You know, <laughs> well, that, it also brings up a an interesting point. I just didn't even think about it. Is what if instead of like Dr. Crusher or something, they sent data on the mission and you know, they come to that stupid door and data just punches it down basically. And <laughs> you know, they try to take him prisoner and he just overpowered. I mean, it's just kind of funny to think about. It's like, is Dr. Crusher known for hand to hand combat? I don't know. Not really. My, my only guess would be you don't send data on this mission because he's one of a kind and you don't want the Cardassians to have his technology and abilities. I would totally watch a show with Android data made up to look like a Cardassian though. <laughs> well, you get, you get the Romulan bit. In, you get the uh, Romulan bit. In, uni- in, in unification. But, uh, <laughs> Some Romulan beauty will lick the paint off his face. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, on the positive side of things, it's really the performances, right? And the reason this episode is on the list is what Picard goes through. It is that torture. It's the four lights, which 
at this point in in the fandom has kind of been made fun of because Picard's final line of there are four lights is very intense and you know people have kind of mocked it a bit in modern television times but this is why it's on the list it has to do with Picard's resolve his willpower who he is on the inside and what he is able to take and push through the fact that no matter what Madrid does to him, no matter how painful it is, no matter how degrading it is, Picard is still going to push forward and move forward. And there's some incredibly acted scenes in here by Patrick Stewart, uh, where he has to be incredibly weak and, in, and, and pained and malnourished and uh, just completely at the point of exhaustion and play off of David Warner, who of course is doing an incredible job as well. Um, might be David Warner's best performance uh, to be totally honest, at least for me. Um, and I, I don't think you can oversell how good the scenes with the two of them are. No, I mean, it's some of the, some of the best acting I think from Patrick Stewart, which is saying a lot because that dude's a hell of an actor is even the final discussion between him and Deanna Troy when he's back on the ship. And, you know, and he's talking about, you know, I almost admitted blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, you didn't. And, you know, now I just pulled it up because I want to read it word for word. And, you know, Troy says, you didn't say it. No, no, but I was going to, I would have told him anything, anything at all. But more than that, I believed that I could see five lights. And it's just another reminder that Picard has seen some shit in his life. <sighs> Yeah, I think a lot of the times Picard is put on this pedestal as this perfect person, this perfect captain. And I think it's it's an episode like this that shows you that he's still a, a person to strive to be. He's still, for me, a role model, right? And something to strive for. But part of it is because he is still a person. He is still fallible. He still is imperfect. And even with that, he still continues to try to do his best to try to do the right thing regardless of the cost to himself. And no moment defines that better than when Madrid tells him he can leave because they're just going to, they'll, they'll talk to Crusher next. Yep. And he has no choice in his mind. He can't try and call their bluff. He can't pass on what he's going through. He has to protect her. He has to, to he has to do what he can to protect his crew and even in those dire circumstances he doesn't even question it he comes back and sits down yeah i completely i mean i think you nailed it and it's I'm, again i'm looking into the background of the episode uh and um how some modern people have actually compared fake movie torture scenes, apparently to this scene in Star Trek and chain of command about how chain of command was more accurate with how the Detroit, with the portrayal of some psychological and physical torture and the impacts on people. And so, I mean, cause Picard, Patrick, Stu Pat Picard, Patrick Stewart really wanted to do the episode. He didn't want them to tone it down. He was heavily involved with all the scenes and the in, in the development of the episode, and it's like you said, you you can go. We'll we'll talk we'll talk to the doctor next or something. And like you like you just said, Picard had to make that three second decision. No, I can't let that happen to my to um, to my friend, somebody I love, somebody I care about, and a member of my crew. And the captain did what a captain, unfortunately, is supposed to do as a captain is. Take, take it for the ship, basically. And he does. And I think that that moment defines who he is. And it's important because the best of both worlds gets its epilogue in family. And we get to see some of the PTSD that, that Picard has to deal with in that episode. Um, we don't really get to see that here. And... So obviously I haven't been through either experience, but you know, they, there's no way that this one wasn't difficult for him too. 
And an argument could even be made that it may have been even harder because in the best of both worlds, he can, there's at least the truth that there was nothing he could do, you know? Um, and in this, this is just, it's him. He's, he's conscious the entire time. These things are happening to him and he has to deal with it as himself. There's no buffer of that assimilation and we never really get to see the true effects of that. And I don't know that the Picard show will touch on it. I doubt it will, given the the emphasis on the Borg and the Romulans and the events leading up to Star Trek 09. But I have to imagine that the events of Chain of Command were very significant on him. Yeah, I think you are absolutely correct, my friend. Another quintessential Star Trek Next Generation episode. If you haven't seen Chain of Command, you, know, you stop listening, watch it, and then come back and finish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, aside from it just uh, of it being on my list of quintessential Picard episodes, it would have to be on my list of quintessential TNG episodes and possibly Star Trek as a whole. Um, it's it's important. It shows a lot of different things beyond Picard's. Uh, events and patrick stewart's performance it, it shaped the cardassians it shaped um some of the crew of the enterprise and how they handled jellico and um it's just very powerful it's incredibly well written it's it's handled very well and it's a surprising two-part episode i think you are correct i i every time it's on like one of those you know random online specials or i catch a it's next up in my queue. I have to watch it. It's This is one of those you never skip episodes. Yes. You really shouldn't um, skip any episodes of Star Trek, but I understand <laughs> if you skip through a little bit of season one and two, Next Generation, now and then. Well, I think you can skip uh, Code of Honor and Shades of Grey and be pretty good. <laughs> and you're not missing <laughs> anything. Um, <laughs> but that's just me. Um, you know, one thing that, that I, I never really thought about until this time around is... Uh, Early on, when when Picard's first inter- introduced to Gol Madred, Madred like legitimately asks him if he if he has any medical conditions or, or anything that he should be aware of. And I was thinking, you know, I wonder if Picard should mention his heart situation. <laughs> it does have a fake heart, right? Uh, right, because you know, I I feel like Madred's probably saying this because he doesn't actually want to kill Picard. Right. He wants to keep Picard alive because once he's dead, he's dead. So he probably would need to know that information. But I don't know. That's, you know, maybe he figured that out on his own. (laughs) Well, that's just another reminder. You know, he's got a fake heart. He was kidnapped and tortured by the Borg. He was kidnapped and tortured by Cardassians. He's had a rough go. Yeah, he's had a rough go. You know, and uh, he keeps pushing forward. You know, it's just how it is for him. Um. All right. Well, is there anything else about Chain of Command you think we should touch on? No, I think we kind of got, I think we nailed uh, Time Zero and both Chain of Command. Two great episodes. Chain of Command really builds out the Cardassians for Deep Space Nine. So I think, uh, I think we're good. All right. Well, so uh, like I said, next week is a short treks episode. So Ray will join me back up to talk about the animated double feature of short tracks which includes the girl who made the stars as well as ephraim and dot and so we'll be talking about those next week um and then we're actually taking a week off for uh the holidays we will not be releasing an episode on december 24th uh, taking that week off to be with you know family and friends and then we'll begin the um we'll, we'll finish up season six on december 31st so right on new year's eve we'll we'll wrap up season six here where we will talk about uh tapestry which is one of my all-time favorite star trek episodes um starship mine lessons and the chase i love the chase i love all (laughs) of them but the chase especially i'm looking forward to that that's fair that's fair tapestry for me i've i've been just dying to get to to that one because oh i love that episode um Gene in fact, Luck Pickard. <laughs> hey, we didn't mention that in in Times Arrow, uh, but the landlady no, yeah. uh, she Pickard. calls him that too. It's so good, <laughs> so good, Mister Pickard. Um, <laughs> all right, all right, Greg. Why don't you why don't you play us out? 
All right, everybody. Well, appreciate you sticking with us through another uh, Prep and Picard episode. We are Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. We're actually big enough, just like I said, if you just want to Google those names, Red Shirts and Runabouts, Heroes Podcast, and then your favorite search engine, my personal favorite right now is DuckDuckGo, but that's just me. They're not a sponsor. Uh, it's just a great privacy privacy uh, browser. Um, but again, you can search us there. You can find us on your favorite podcast app, whichever ones you want to use. Uh, Derek is also a host on multiple other shows on HeroesPodcast.com. So Derek... If people want to get out and reach to you directly to talk about Red Shirts and Runabouts or one of your other shows, how can they do that? So I am the Star Trek Dude on Twitter and Facebook. You can also find me on Screen Heroes, which is our uh, TV and film, mainly film uh, podcast here on the Heroes Podcast Network. We have kind of an emphasis on superhero stuff. So you can come come talk to us there. And we're actually going to be doing a 20th anniversary retrospective review of um, Galaxy Quest. And not this week, but next week. So you should come check that out as it is one of the best Star Trek films. It is a <laughs> phenomenal Star Trek film. See if you can constr- like construct some sort of rudimentary weapon. Can you make a lathe? <laughs> a lathe? Get off the line, guy. Anyways. So um, if you want to find, that's my little Galaxy Galaxy Quest side. I love Guy Fleegman. Um, but if you want to find me, you can track me down on Twitter at the underscore Bittersteel. We also have a Facebook group uh, for Red Shirts and Runabouts. You can just Google that into your Facebook group search or Google that search on Facebook for Red Shirts and Runabouts. It's a pretty fun, safe group. Uh, we discuss the show, news, things like that. It's very low key, very easygoing. Uh, we don't we don't discourage a good meme now and then, but we try to keep the environment pretty safe and stable for everybody. So that's how you can track down the show or track down Derek and I. And like Derek mentioned, he'll, him and Ray will be back soon to, to do a discussion on the animated series. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll be back for Prep and for Picard. We will talk to you then. Mm-hmm.